0: So I looked him dead in the eye and I said, you may act up in somebody else's class, but in my class, you're going to sit down, you're going to focus and you're going to get your work done.
1: Welcome to the next episode of Professional Development, the podcast where teachers talk about teaching. My name is Jim Myers, and I teach high school English in Boston, Massachusetts.
2: And I'm Marcus Luther, and I teach high school English on the other side of the country in Kaiser, Oregon.
1: And on today's show, we have an exciting interview with uh, with Dr. Chris Jones, who is running to be the next governor of the state of Arkansas, where both Marcus and I started out our teaching careers in Arkansas classrooms a long time ago. Um, This was exciting. I think I, you know, Marcus, you and I have been paying attention a little bit to this campaign and I reached out to Dr. Jones on Twitter and said, Hey, we've got this podcast about teaching. Do you want to come on? And he said, yes. Uh, And I thought this was a great conversation. It was really uh, interesting and informative and um, really, really nice to have him on.
2: Yeah. And in this conversation, we talked not just about his own experience, including his experience as a teacher in the classroom, but also his platform Uh, different issues and how they resonate in the state of Arkansas and really what I think speaks to both Jim and I as teachers, the values that he spoke to and wants to bring to uh, Arkansas and especially especially Arkansas classrooms and communities uh, were really interesting and I think worth listening to and really energized us and I think it's a conversation not just worth listening to, but also getting involved in yourself. So let us know if you have any feedback after hearing the episode of questions, follow-up questions you'd like us to ask in future conversations potentially, or uh, just thoughts and suggestions about
1: uh, what you heard. Absolutely. So without any further ado, here we go with Dr. Chris Jones. Dr. Chris Jones, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Glad to be on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Uh, We started this podcast for teachers, really to connect and share stories, and really respond to what they're experiencing in their work and their day to day life. And Mm -hmm. we think that a critical part of that conversation is um, having conversations with policymakers and people who, you know, make uh, decision, make big decisions about education, um, Mm -hmm. and especially in their efforts to serve in public office. So. Um, Marcus and I both started our education careers in Arkansas classrooms, and we Mm. still have many friends and colleagues working in Arkansas classrooms right now. Um, And I want to give a special shout out to some of my students from Mark Tree High School, uh, who are, in fact, leading classrooms of their own right now in Mark Tree. Oh, i'll, I'll jump awesome.
2: in the shout out to four dice red bucks and i got some former students and players who now have their own teams and classrooms so the cycle continues
1: go Wait, red do bucks. i get to
0: shout out Chapel? yeah wildcats go ahead can i, can I can. shout out to Watson Chapel wildcats right
1: um and all of the, all of that to say you know this your run for governor and Uh, What you're talking about with education is is personal to us, because even though you know we're not in Arkansas anymore. um, We do. It's it's a it's a personal stake for us, and we're just excited to have you on on the show. Um, So you're running to be the next governor of Arkansas, and it's Mm -hmm. clear from your campaign rhetoric and information that education is really central to your platform in ways that at least from personal experience seem more serious than a lot of other folks I see running mm. for public office. Um, so I was just wondering if you could start by telling folks a little bit about your educational background, both uh, as a student and as an educator.
0: Yeah, you know, um, and, and I, I do appreciate you all allowing the, the shout out because I was certainly shaped in the Watson Chapel public school system. And I'm thankful for that. Um, My educational journey goes back to my grandparents, actually, Um, both of which, both of whom had a third grade education. And my grandfather would always tell me, um, because he'd call me big man, he he said, uh, get an education. Because when you get it in your head, no one can take it out. Now, this is somebody with a third grade education. And he was by far one of the smartest people uh, I've known. Uh, just brilliant, but life's circumstances didn't allow him to go beyond uh, the third grade. The moment in which he lived didn't allow him to go beyond the third grade. Now, my mom was a lifelong educator, so mm-hmm. she she taught almost every grade, and she then she taught teachers how to teach. So education has always been a part of who I am and what I believed in, and for me, when I graduated from Watson Chapel, I then went to Morehouse College, where I always wanted to go for undergrad and study physics and math, and then Left there and immediately went to MIT, where I always wanted to go for grad school and study nuclear engineering, technology, and policy, and then got a PhD in urban planning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and and I don't I don't I don't live that out or say that as if it is better than anything else or anyone else. Um, it's my path, and I think the the beauty of education is that it should open doors of opportunity for you to follow your path, whether that's higher ed or trade schools or some other, you know, pathway, if you would, um, that that's what I believe about education. I think it'd be the great equalizer and the great door opener.
1: That's great. Thanks.
2: Oh, I appreciate you talking about that. And you also have your own experience, like being in the classroom. Like, is there any specific moment that you reflect back, you know, whether as a student or working with students that, you know, inspires you to make this, not just to make this run, but to make like, Jim said, education is a central part of your platform.
0: Yeah. You know, there, there are three moments that come by. You know, one, when I was a student myself in high school, and I was in uh, high school math. Um, there was a kid who sat you know, about a row or two over, and literally every day in class, he slept. Uh-huh. He slept every day in class. He never turned in homework. Mm-hmm. He, he aced every single test It blew my mind and, and, and he, he did not do well. I think he may have been held back a year, uh, in high school, but what that experience, meanwhile, you know, I studied like crazy, um, and I did was blessed to finish the top of the class. But what I realized was that it wasn't because I was smarter than him. There, there were, there were a set of circumstances uh, and choices, but certainly circumstances that, that, that caused him to not be able to reap the benefits of the educational system. So that's one. Two, when I taught ninth grade algebra, um, there were two things that really jumped out at me. One, I had a kid come into class one day and he said, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, um, you know, I, I didn't take my ADHD meds today, so I'm gonna act crazy in your class. So I looked him dead in the eye And I said, you may act up in somebody else's class, but in my class, you're going to sit down, you're going to focus, and you're going to get your work done. And sure enough, for the entire class, he did it. At the end of the day, I had another teacher say, what was wrong with such and such? Uh, He was acting up. I was like, I don't know. He didn't do that in my class. That taught me that expectations matter. The other thing that taught me that expectations Mm -hmm. matter, and this is the last story. Um, I'll tell real quickly is that there was a young lady who was on an individualized um, uh, education plan, IEP. Mm-hmm. And we met with the principal, other teachers, and her parents. And what we decided, or what they decided in the meeting was that her goal was to get a C in my class, to pass the, to pass the class. Sounds fairly reasonable. But I, afterwards, I pulled her aside and said, look, I know what we said in there. I know what they said. The goal is to get a C. I believe you can get an A, mm-hmm. and I want you to, that to be your goal. Sure enough, she finished the class with an A, um, and she went on to graduate one of the top in her class. So those things taught me that with the right expectations and with the right systems, systems of support, you can actually unleash the potential of students, and that's what I want to do in Arkansas.
2: Love those answers. And I really appreciate you sharing. I also, I love the word circumstances because I think mm. we talk a lot on this podcast about context and systems because trying to get away from just our own experiences and think about the broader forces that are shaping education yeah. specifically with your plan, with your campaign, like what are the ways that you want to change the circumstances of education in Arkansas to make it better, mm. not just for students, but for all stakeholders, families, communities, etc. cetera.
0: Yeah, practically speaking, I mean, uh, you know, I'll throw out a few. It's not comprehensive, but i just throw out a few that I think matter because um, I'm, an in, I'm an engineer. And so I think you go back to first principles and foundations. You get a strong foundation, strong first principles. You can grow from there. So preschool. Everyone having access to preschool, mm-hmm. period. And preschool doesn't need to be mini college. Preschool can be an environment where kids can play and enjoy each other and socialize. That's fine. Mm -hmm, But having access to pre-K is a game changer. Uh, Kids that have been in pre-K typically less likely to go to prison, more likely to read at grade level, more likely to graduate on time. Uh, There are are other studies that talk about the kind of pre-K that matters. But that's one. Two, um, investing in programs that help students read. Because in my hometown of Pine Bluff, some 90% of the kids don't read at grade level. So that's like trying to throw someone on a football field, but they don't know the rules of the game. And, and we can't do that. Um, the other thing that matters are this sort of these out of school programs. And, I, and I'll tell you this. When I was in Boston, after I finished my Ph.D., I actually ran a nonprofit. And the work that I did there uh, was to implement the Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education's Promise Neighborhoods grant. And for those who don't know the Promised Neighborhoods Grant, it was a grant to, to really focus on the educational pipeline from cradle to career, which meant you have to be, you had to be a part of the wraparound systems, housing, um, health, safety, you name it. And so in order to really strengthen the educational pipeline, you have you're forced to deal with things like, like safety, like transportation, like homelessness, like poverty, like hunger. Um, now back to the tangible things. Every kid should be able to eat breakfast, lunch, and a snack, period. It's easy. You know, so that, that's a game changer. Easy. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say as, as an example are they're really important and effective out-of-school programs that allow students time to either explore, to learn science, to, to, to do all sorts of things that enhance their educational experience, we need to be supporting those programs and providing them with the resources necessary for them to do their job.
1: yeah um, what when you when you think about education overall in the state of Arkansas, um, yeah. you know one thing that i I think a lot of people have been saying recently about politics, uh, which is true um, elections have
0: consequences. <laughs> oh yes,
1: okay, and when you think when you think about education in arkansas what to you are the stakes of this election
0: mm. yeah wow that's a that's a that's a great question um because the stakes are so high
2: mm-hmm.
0: um you now what 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 do i mean uh, i i um here, here's what I mean. Uh, I was driving my car, and I've been driving on it for a couple of weeks, and I heard some wobbling, you know, some knocking. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get it checked out. But I'm busy. This is about a year ago, two years ago. I was I'm busy, so and I'll, I'll eventually get to it. Um, and then finally, the morning that I was going to go to the dealer, the the, the, the uh, service shop, I dropped my kids off at school. And every time I would drive slow on the highway or slower, then I would hear the wobbling. When I drove faster, I would not hear the wobbling. It's like, I don't know what it is. I pull in to the the service shop. And as I'm pulling in, it gets really loud, like to the point to where people came out of their office to look and see what was happening. Well, it turns out, and, and to me, these are the stakes of this election, and particularly around education, three of the four lug net nuts had popped off. And I was on the highway with three of the four lug nuts popping off. Now, I don't know how it happened or what happened, but when I pulled in, my wheel was almost in, 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 almost like broken off completely. So that, that's where we are. We're, now, they were able to fix it. They addressed the issue. They fixed the, the foundational problem. Uh, and I was back in business. But we're at a point where three of the four of our lug nuts are off. Um, and unless we address it and fix it now, we could be on the highway going 70 miles an hour. And our our wheel just pops off. And that is dangerous not only for us, but for the drivers that are coming behind us. And so that's why we have to fix it now.
1: What do you think, I, I really like that that metaphor, because I think that, education it as a teacher it it feels easy for education to sort of be deprioritized or sort of um i don't know that that metaphor really really makes a lot of sense to me what do you think are if we if we extend the metaphor a little bit what do you think are right now you know you mentioned some of the reading uh the reading struggles of of students in pine bluff and um you know, I think, I think that's true for a lot of students, not just in Arkansas, but all, all over. And mm-hmm. what do you, I mean, what do you think are the biggest barriers to that accept, to that, um, excuse me, the biggest barriers to success for students and
0: teachers in Arkansas? Mm. Um, so uh, we, when we were preparing for um, the education town hall, uh, we had conversations with a, almost a hundred people because mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to hear. We wanted to hear and ask questions. And there was a group um, of students. So we talked to a group of students. They, they ranged from uh, fifth, third graders to seniors in, in high school. And we got them together, and we listened, and we asked questions, and we probed. And there were a few things that, that, that sort of jumped out. Um, you know, one is, and this, this was resonant among the conversations we had with teachers as well, one is a uh, the expectations game, right so folks felt like there were low to no expectations about uh, the system, the students, the teachers, and so when you don't expect a lot, you don't put a lot into it so that and they felt that it was one two um, there was a respect issues so teachers felt like administrators administrators didn't respect them felt like. Parents didn't respect them. Parents felt like teachers didn't respect them. Students felt like teachers didn't respect them and so on and so forth. So there's a lack of respect in the system Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um, and there's a lack of low expectations in the system writ large that made a difference. Um, And then the the third thing I heard, which I agree with and part of my own experience, is a, a cultural unwillingness to innovate. To say, let's try it. Let's, um, let's think outside the box. Uh, and, and one example of, of, of a place that was innovating was there was one of the students that said, hey, look, their, their class taught them to understand how people learn. And this, is, this was a, um, a 10th grader. Uh, no, a ninth grader taught them to understand how people learn. And part of that was they had to learn how they learned and then they had to learn how their classmate learned. And what that does is it creates a deeper level of empathy, um, which is the last thing I think um, has been missing now. all of these things are not tangible; they're intangible, but I think they're absolutely critical to how we we really go from you know bottom five to top five.
2: I love yeah. that answer, and I appreciate uh, you naming empathy because I definitely think that seems to be a connective tissue across all of your messaging so far and I think it's important and almost like lacking also and we see in like the current debate uh current moment uh, that we're living in and that's felt by education uh, in that mm-hmm. town hall I believe you you talked about uh, and we're going to bring up the topic that you called a bogeyman uh, critical race theory I think you, you said uh you you laughed at it because you said it's a bogeyman that doesn't exist and I think something I want to ask you is what your what will your campaign and then your potential uh governorship represent for that, for especially for teachers in Arkansas, because for teachers, it does exist in terms of its influence. And you know, I moved to Oregon to be closer to family when I had my son. Uh, this is not the reason, but I would be scared yeah. right now as a teacher who believes in having these conversations in the classroom, as an English teacher of connecting the text we read to the current moment and have facilitating conversations to let students make those connections and talk about the way race impacts society. And I think that's especially important uh, as a white educator to lead and to create spaces for students, all students. But I'd be worried to get fired and not and have my job uh, in this current moment. You look at uh, messages from Attorney General uh, Rutledge, we look at from Senator Codden, this seems to be like a really hard moment in my mind for teachers to do the right thing for all mm. students, but especially the students who haven't historically been served well, including by uh, in the state of Arkansas, but across the country. Mm. So, with that leadoff, what are your thoughts, and what is your messaging, especially to teachers in this moment?
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting that we that we um, we we went here after talking about empathy because I, I do think that um, that there needs to be empathy and humanity. In, in the center of the discussion, meaning, what we need to do more of, right? So we, I call it a boogeyman because we we create problems that are. There, they are certainly stressors. Because it, it's it's stressful to go back and think about history, um, and and to, and to truly analyze history, in in, in its full breadth. Um And yet, with the lens of empathy and humanity, the question becomes: how does the other person experience what they're hearing, what they're learning, what they're exploring, and how can I, through my understanding of their experience, improve myself um, so i I would certainly lead with that um, I think there are fears um, among the teacher, among teachers and educators, among parents and among students about what could happen uh, if we do or don't do certain things. And to me, the only thing that it does is create an environment where kids can't learn. And at the end of the day, what we should be doing is helping to create critical thinkers um, who can understand how they got to where they are so they can make better decisions about where they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as a former educator myself, and, and this is also why I called the, I, I kind of chuckled I probably shouldn't have, but I kind of chuckled and said it was a boogeyman. <laughs> uh, i think about the number of hours I put into developing a curriculum for my math class,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Like just, it's just a lot. And so to then have to have the political concern of, of will I get prosecuted for what I'm teaching in the classroom, that's the boogeyman. Right. Teachers shouldn't be faced with a political concern. And I've, one of the things that as, as an educator I always wanted was increased parental involvement. We certainly want parents at the table together because at the end of the day, we are partners in this thing and the more we can have empathy and humanity and see it as a partnership in education um the better we are uh, at the end of the day so that that that's how i would approach it
1: yeah i i really appreciate that i mean i think this is a difficult talking about race is difficult for a lot of people but i think um educators know especially how important that is um And, and the intersection that these types of conversations do have in the classroom. Um, You know, I teach AP Lang, and I have the, Mm. I have the privilege of teaching a lot of really famous American rhetoric. Um, And I, every year I teach letter from a Birmingham jail from Mm. Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And it it's really challenging. It's kind of hard for me to imagine that text being okay broadly in like an anti-critical race theory environment. Yeah. Um I, I I I I don't know. it's um it is it is unnerving to me to watch some of these policies sort of be floated and and what would you what would you say to a parent who is who is concerned overall um about these ideas of indoctrination and brainwashing and some of the rhetoric that I've seen that, co- that comes from these discussions.
0: Yeah, I, um, you know, as, as a parent myself of, of three, uh, I, I do know that parents are concerned about what their kids are exposed to. Mm-hmm. And, and, they, and they should be. It, it's, it's important to, um, to have that concern. I mean, that, that you are their safety net. And, and that's critical. I would challenge uh, parents and other family members and teachers to sit down and have a conversation about what, are, what is it that's being taught and a, and then have a deeper conversation about how that's being experienced,
2: 360,
0: mm-hmm. right? prime example um we were looking at different schools and I walked into a classroom and I'm a scientist and I you know scientist and engineer and I um and I believe in opening the door for science for youth and particularly for populations that have been locked out so I have three girls and when I think about science and engineering, it's been, it's been predominantly male.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I walked into a classroom of a school we were looking at and what I saw in the science class was a, a wall full of photos and it was only males. Right? So, so to me, the question becomes, why, why was that the choice? Because it was a choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And what are, we, what are we saying to our students when we don't tell the full picture? Because there certainly have been phenomenal, brilliant scientists and engineers who are female. So what are we saying to the students when we don't talk about that part of the history and or why um, we tend to not see as many females in the system? And I, I think when we, when we talk about you know, being, thinking critically, we have to ask, ask the question, why haven't historically more women gone into these fields? And be honest about what that is and then have a question about what, you know, what kind of future do we want.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: I appreciate
2: that, especially the lens you bring as uh, a parent, Uh, because I know for me, uh, with my two-year-old son, like that, even later into my career teaching, that shifted the way I saw everything. And Mm. uh, that example uh, speaks to me and I appreciate that. So. I guess the other space we like to create here on this, uh, in this discussion, and we're having a discussion here from different perspectives and kind of living out that value you're speaking to, yeah. uh, is we really like to pay tribute to the people who brought us here, especially from mm. the classroom ourselves. And we were just wondering if there's a teacher or educator in your own experience that you wanted to just give an appreciation to, because I don't think we can give enough appreciation to teachers and we yeah. want to give you space to do just that
0: yeah the list is so long um you know i think about um miss work who was my civics and my gifted and talented teacher and how miss work uh, made sure that we understood and we learned and we talked about and dissected um history but through the lens of civics and then talked about our role in in what we need to do in the future, like our role as citizens, um, and in gifted and talented, she would, every Friday we had debate day where we would pick a topic, and we had to choose a side, and then we would have debates in the classroom. So that that helped me to better think about how to analyze the situation. And I think about Miss Branch, who was my um, algebra teacher, and how she wouldn't let you, um, she would not let you slack on your homework every. Every, every, every dot uh, had to be in place. Uh, and again, I can go on and on and on, but I will mention one more. Um, and that's Dr. Martin, uh, who was my, he, he taught multiple classes for me in college. And one of the things that I loved about and hated at the same time about him was he he, he let us make our own tests. And he would <laughs> literally say, you all give me the problems. And so we'd get together and we'd submit problems and... And the first time you're like, there's no way that he's gonna put these problems on the test. He put everyone, he, every problem on his test came from what we submitted. So wh- what I learned from that though quickly was that collaboration is important because if I knew what everyone else submitted, then I would know what was gonna be on the test because they already submitted it. And so we got to the point where I would, I would really, we would collaborate together. And now all of a sudden we knew the answers. So each teacher, each educator uh, in life, and my mom, um, who was the one who taught me how to read, <laughs> and, my, and my dad's an educator, even though he's not a teacher, who taught me to always ask questions, and again, I can go on and on and on, but I just want to give a shout out to those few, uh, because they certainly made a, a huge impact in my life.
1: Yeah, thank you, that's great. Um, what can listeners do to help support your campaign, where should they go?
0: Well, they can go to crispforgovernor.com. Uh, Chris for for governor.com and you know certainly the 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 juice that makes campaigns go uh, is dollars so I would love donations um, and equally important to me are is hearing from folks about what matters um, so we want to want to hear from people about you know what are the issues that matter what are the issues that resonate with them and about how they see the future Right? So when we th- we're talking about what, what should education look like in Arkansas? Because to me, it's, this is all wrapped up into what I would call the promise of Arkansas. And, and, and we create the promise of Arkansas by realizing our potential. And so I want to hear from folks. So you know, please go to ChristopherGovernor.com to donate, follow us, uh, share, spread the word, and then tell us, talk to us. Because um, for me I can't hear out of my right ear. And that, that has caused me, and you all probably know this story, right? That has caused me to have to lean into listening. Mm-hmm. But internally, that meant that my, that listening muscle is stronger. And I, and I, I want to listen and want to keep listening because that's how we all get better. Thank you very much.
1: Dr. Chris Jones, running for governor uh, in the, state, the great state of Arkansas, where Marcus, state. And I, where Marcus and I both started our careers. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome back on any time.
0: Look forward to coming back. Thank you both.
1: Doctor Chris Jones, who is running for, uh, nope, I want to do that over again.